It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shreve. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to Discover Your Spiritual Identity. I'm going to start with a very powerful and penetrating statement. We don't just go to church. We are the church. And I believe you're going to discover the profoundness of that declaration as we proceed into this episode. See, the word church is often commonly placed on the people of God in the New Covenant era, but not understood to the degree it needs to be understood. And there are powerful passages of Scripture that unveil different aspects of what it is to be the church. And we're going to explore those today. First of all, I'm going to make the statement that the church is the most valuable institution in the world. The most valuable institution in the world. Why do I say that? Because really it's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living body of believers who are blood-bought. Now let me explain it to you this way. When I go to a store... I have to decide if the item I purchase, the item of merchandise that I go after in that store is more valuable to me than the price I pay. And if it's not more valuable, then I won't make the exchange. But if it is more precious to me, more useful to me, more valuable to me than the money I have to give, then I'll quickly go ahead and exchange the money for the goods and leave the store very happy. Because whatever you purchase has got to be more valuable to you than the price you pay. Now, Acts 20.28 declares that we are the church of God, and that's extra-denominational. That's not confined to one particular denomination. There are born-again believers in the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the uh, Catholics, the Episcopals, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, you find born-again believers everywhere who comprise the church. There is a professing church, as I mentioned in the last episode, that is over two billion strong, and it's huge. But many of them only profess faith in a historical Christ. But at the core, there is something I call the possessing church. That's the nucleus of the professing church, the possessing church that actually possesses a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to have had an encounter with God. And they are more valuable to him than his own blood. There's nothing more precious than I can think of than the precious blood of Jesus how much of a treasure that is to know that that blood can remove your sin, redeem your soul, reconcile you to God, bring you back into oneness with your heavenly Father. And yet God deemed that blood less valuable to him than you because you're a part of the church that that blood bought. We are the church of God, which he, God, has purchased with his own blood. If there is a scripture in the Bible 
that reveals the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he truly was God manifested in the flesh. It is that one that I just quoted, Acts 20, 28. Now let me make another key statement. The church is the most important institution in the world. What do I base that on? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 declares that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The King James Version says the pillar and ground of the truth, the foundation of the truth in a very deceitful world, a world that is full of lies, full of religious ideas that are warped and untrue, full of influences that are hypocritical and duplistic. It's a world of deception. And it's increasing. In fact, when someone asked Jesus what would be the signs of his coming in the last days, the first thing on the list, he said, take heed that no one deceives you. Because deception is being magnified in the world through media. Media is becoming the means by which a very evil agenda is being falsely presented to the world in such a way that it's receivable and people are being duped by it. But we have the spirit of truth, and the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, because those who are in the church have been begotten by the word of truth. So truth is very much a part of our nature, and we have this ability to discern truth if we're prayerful, if we're walking with God, if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading then the spirit of truth will lead us and guide us into how much truth? Into all truth. And that makes the church the biggest threat to the globalist, demonic, satanic agenda of trying to take over this world with a communist mindset and a communist agenda. Uh, That's all being affected through means that are very deceptive and very duplicitous. But God has a church that is awake to what's happening. We understand the signs of the times, and we are a threat to the moving forward of that agenda because we have the answer. We have the cure, and that is a great awakening where truth liberates people. The Bible says when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And that means free socially, free politically, free spiritually, free emotionally, free socially, free relationally. In so many areas of your life, you're free from deception, free from satanic influence, free from the curse, free from the world and its mindset. Praise God for the freedom that truth brings. So you and I, if we are the pillar of the truth, that means it's like a memorial pillar with a fire altar on the top that shines out for miles, drawing people to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're the foundation of the truth, then people can build their lives on our witness. They can leave a deception-filled world behind and depend on the revelation we share that Jesus truly is Lord. And there's much more that can be said. But let me go to the key statement number three. The church is the holiest institution in the world. I know that sounds arrogant and boastful, but it's true. 
And it's not true because of how good we are. It's true because of how powerful the gift of God is. Let me explain. Well, first, let me read the scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives. That shouldn't have to be mandated. That should be automatic, right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, I'll share some of this toward the end of this episode, but first I want you to see that the primary reason that we, the Church of the Living God, can claim to be holy before God is the fact that we have been sanctified by God. And that word sanctified means to be cleansed from the defilement of sin and to be recognized as righteous in the sight of heaven. If you are sanctified, heaven sees you as holy. You are holy with the holiness of God because the moment you are born again, that new creation man inside of you, that brand new regenerated spirit is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's saturated. It's permeated with the holiness of God so that your past defilements don't have present dominion over you, nor does that curse follow you into the future that normally follows errors and sins in your life, because the blood has washed it all away. You are holy. You are cleansed and set apart unto God for his sacred use. That's good to know, and that's why The church is truly the holiest institution in the world because I've met Hindus, I've met Buddhists, I've met Muslims who were very dedicated people who had strong moral standards in their lives, who were honest, who were people of integrity, who had not yet met the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were people who followed their conscience and tried to treat others right and live circumspectly before God. But their holiness cannot match yours, even if their outward lifestyle seems to be more separated. I know when I was a yoga teacher, I lived a more sanctified life, to apply a biblical word to it, than a lot of Christians I know. All I did from 3.30 in the morning to 5.30 every night was pray, meditate. Of course, I was chanting Hindu mantras, and and I was doing yoga postures, and I was reading the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas, but I never watched television. I never went to a movie. I never indulged in entertainment. I never dated. I never did any of those things that normally people do that get distracted by the world and what it offers. All I did was seek God 12 to 14 hours a day. And thank God I finally found Jesus in 1970, and my life has been dramatically, radically changed, and my heart, and my worldview. But I was living as holy a life as I could. I had given up all my earthly possessions. All I owned was maybe a couple of sets of clothes and a few eating utensils, and that's it. I had nothing else. 
because I, I wanted a spiritual, not a materially oriented walk in this world. But that didn't make me holy because all our righteousness is like filthy rags. When you really compare it to the righteous status and the holiness that is imparted through the blood of Jesus, there's no comparison. Absolutely no comparison. Next, key number four. The church is the most knowledgeable institution in the world. Why? Because the knowledge of God has been shared with you. Not only knowing him, but knowing the mysteries of the kingdom of God that he gifts you with. But it goes even deeper. There's a beautiful and powerful and inspiring scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Listen to it. I'll quote it fully, and then I'll explain it. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Listen to those three words, by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, the word principalities means princes or people in a position of authority or spirit beings in a position of authority. Those are principalities. And powers are people who are in a position of influence. They have power over others or entities, spiritual entities in a place of influence over other spirits. And so there are principalities and powers in this world. There are principalities and powers in the demonic world. And there are principalities and powers in the angelic world. And I believe this is referring to the angelic world. That the manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church. Not just to the world outside the church, but this wisdom that was hidden from ages past, before the world began, it was created, it was formed in the heart of God, and it's been revealed to us. It comes to the church first, before the angels completely figure it out, apparently, according to this scripture. Maybe that's why Peter said that angels enjoy coming down and looking into those things that are sent down by the Holy Spirit from heaven into our midst. In other words, Angelic presences are in our services. Angels come in order not only to minister to the heirs of salvation, but to comprehend the mystery of what God is doing in a more profound and deep way. And so the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, is made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places because they see the wisdom of God by observing what God is doing in you. And that's why the church is the most knowledgeable institution in the world, because the revelation of the mysteries of the kingdom of God is unfolding in us. And part of that mystery is the mixture of good and evil. In the parables of the kingdom found in Matthew chapter 13, one of the dominant themes was how, for instance, there were uh, good seed and tares in the same field, good fish and bad fish in the same net. 
And in like manner, it's a mystery that there's good people and bad people in this world, that there's good and evil inside of us vying for the control of us. And there's good and bad or good and evil in what is termed the church. There's an aspect of the church that is just religious. It's just what man can do to produce a system and call it Christianity. But then there's that good, pure seed of Christianity in born-again believers. Next, the next key, the church is the most victorious institution in the world. Did you hear me? The church is the most victorious institution in the world. If anybody anywhere in this world has victory, it's you. Let me read you the scripture. It's from Ephesians chapter 20, or chapter 1, rather, verses 20 through 23. And I'm not going to read everything in those four verses, but the key thoughts. And it's talking about how Jesus rose from the dead, how the Father brought him out of the grave, and the power that was exerted in doing that, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. Far above, remember that phrase, far above, all principality and power and might and dominion, and he has put all things under his feet. He's exalted him far above all things, and he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is a powerful, powerful revelation. In fact, I have taught on it uh, in an episode on our calling to be the head and not the tail. And I'll put a link to that in the notes on cpnshows.com. And headship is something that not only does Jesus enjoy now that he's conquered all the arch enemies of the human race, he's conquered sin, he's conquered Satan, he's conquered all those satanic underlings that work with him, he's conquered the world, he's conquered the flesh, he's conquered the lower nature, he's conquered time, he's conquered hell and the grave. He's conquered all the enemies of the human race, and it's all under his feet. Now, I want you to confess this with me right now. I want you to dare to say, if those things are under his feet, those things are under my feet. Come on, let's say it again together. If those things are under his feet, those things are under my feet. Because see, one version of this scripture says this is a headship exercised throughout the church. It's distributed among all the members of the church because as he is, so are we in this world. If he is seated and enthroned in a heavenly sphere and in a position of supremacy, authority, rest, peace, and victory, then you and I are seated with him. He said, he that overcomes will sit with me in my throne in a place of supremacy and dominion and victory and rest and peace. We share those things. We share those wonderful attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things he possesses now have become our possessions because he said, he that overcomes shall inherit all things. And that includes everything that he inherited by virtue of his great conquest of sin and Satan and death and hell and the grave. Thank God for that. 
So the church is the most victorious institution in the world. Why? Because he's the head of the church and we are the body. And if we are the body of Christ, where the head is, the body is also, right? If the head is severed from the body, you have trouble, big trouble. But normally, if you find a person's head, you find their body also occupying somewhat the same space. And if we are the body of Christ, then we occupy the same position of dominion and authority. He said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, the most victorious institution in the world. Next, the next key, the church is the most unique institution in the world. Why do I say that? Because there's no big eyes and there's no little use. Usually in any organization, you have levels of importance. And of course, there's levels of authority because you have people who have been placed in positions of leadership who are servant leaders. They really exist to serve others in the body of Christ that need edification and strengthening. However, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, it says that you and I have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Now, one version of that scripture says we are the church in which every member is considered to be a firstborn son. So you're God's favorite, and I'm God's favorite, and anyone who's washed in the blood and born again is God's favorite. We're all considered firstborn sons in the sight of heaven. And that means we all have a double portion inheritance. And how do you get that? Well, we've all been begotten of the word and born of the spirit, just like Jesus was the word made flesh and had the spirit without measure. And he was the firstborn among many brethren. You and I have the fullness of the word and the fullness of the spirit because the fullness of the Godhead dwelt within him bodily and he dwells within us bodily Wow. So there's no big eyes and no little use. There's no inferior people in the body of Christ. If you are blood washed and born again, you're part of the church of the firstborn. And there's a lot more revelation that goes along with that. But I will also put a link in cpnshows.com notes uh, where you can go and listen to the episode on what it is to be the church of the firstborn. Finally, the church is the most stable, authoritative, and undefeatable institution in the world. That doesn't mean we won't suffer problems and difficulties. It does mean that we will emerge the winners no matter what happens, no matter what goes on in the future. In Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, which we primarily focused on in part one of this series, Jesus said to Peter, On this rock I will build my church. And he was talking about the rock of divine revelation that the Father had revealed to Peter who Jesus was, the Messiah. And he said, on this rock I will build my church because it's not built by human effort. It's built by divine revelation. God reveals himself to you. You come out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. On this rock I will build my church. And he said, the gates of Hades, the King James says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I explain all of those statements in the previous episode, so I won't go into it right now. But the main thing I want to share with you out of this passage is that you not only have stability and authority yourself, so much so that you are undefeatable. You're more than a conqueror through him that loves you. No matter what you face in life, all things work together for good to those who love God. And because of that, it not only ushers you into a place of total victory, not only does it usher you into a place of being undefeated, you have the keys to open the doors so others can come into this place of stability and authority and a place of being completely undefeated no matter what happens in life. Praise God for that. I've got the keys. You've got the keys. And it opens the door to joy and peace and love and grace and goodness and power and wisdom and knowledge and strength and a host of other things. Now, finally, the church is God's greatest source of glory. And I'm going to bring out Ephesians 2, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what a scripture. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above anything we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. I believe that the church is the source of God receiving the greatest amount of glory possible because the church has been taken from the bottom, the scum, the muck, the mire of an unclean state and exalted to the top, sharing the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ and the reigns of the new creation, kings and priests ruling with him forevermore. The fact that God could take us from the bottom to the top, from darkness to light, from evil to righteousness, and do so in such a miraculous and mighty way is a source of glory to him like nothing else in all of creation. So if you revel in anything, revel in the fact that God gets glory out of your life, not that you get glory because he's in your life, but that God gets glory out of your life. Now let me end it up uh, and put the cap on it by saying that if we are a glorious church, according to Ephesians 5.27, We do not have any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but we are without blemish. Now, that speaks of three things God's dealt with. Spots mean contaminations, where you've been dirtied by the world or dirtied by satanic influence or dirtied by sin or yielding to temptation. Wrinkle, that means something that happens when clothing is crushed. And it's talking about when you get crushed by the hurtful things of life. And a blemish? Well, a blemish in a garment is a torn place or a place that hasn't been sewn or put together properly and it has a blemish. So those are three different things. Spot, wrinkle, and blemish. And yet, once God gets through with you, none of those will be seen in your life. You'll be utterly, absolutely perfect in the sight of heaven. 
And that's why the church is something you need to be a part of. And if you haven't been born again yet, this is the best time for you to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. To have all of these benefits, the Bible said he daily loads us down with benefits. Now, if you want to dig more into the revelation of who you are in Christ, I would urge you to get my book, Who Am I? And the subtitle is Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. And also, I urge you to sign up and subscribe for my other podcast, which deals with comparative religion issues, and that is Revealing the True Light. And we always post the Revealing the True Light podcast on our website, thetruelight.net. And I urge you to come to our ministry website also, shreveministries.org. And if these podcasts are a blessing to you, go to the Give page and share an offering with us on a one-time basis or a recurring offering. And nothing is too small. Listen, if we, if we had thousands of partners who gave small offerings every week, that would make a huge difference. So don't belittle the amount that you're able to give. We would deeply, deeply appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.